going to do something that I don't know that we've ever done before. We're going to preach the same passage again that we did last week. And let me be very clear. It's not because I think Aaron fumbled the football. He didn't. He did a great job for us. But I really feel led to uh, kind of zoom in and focus in <coughs> on one particular section of this text. And so let me ask for the Spirit's help, and then we'll do that. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate these texts to us. May we be informed in our knowledge of Scripture, transformed by the renewing of our minds, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. <coughs> in Jesus' good name, amen. <coughs> so James 1, 13 to 18. <coughs> Let me refresh us uh, by what it says here. Let no one say when he is tempted that I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be contempt, uh, tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So <coughs> first thing to pay attention to there is that apparently James is correcting some kind of false teaching or at least bad idea that is out there among the people. And what it seems to be happening is in the midst of their trial and <coughs> difficulty, they are somehow thinking, you know, God is against me. He is, he's, he's doing this to me. Uh, what is going on here? And James is saying, no, 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 that's not what's happening here. Uh, something is happening to you but God wants to do something in you. He is not responsible for this awful stuff that's happening to you. And then on top of that, he is certainly not tempting you to sin in the midst of it. <clears throat> and so first piece of truth here that I would remind us of is that when we face a trial, there are always elements of both testing and temptation. When we face a trial, there are elements of both testing and and temptation. The, temp uh, the testing comes from God, and the tempting comes from elsewhere. So when we find ourselves in these times of trial, <coughs> just like the image we used a few weeks ago, uh, we are in the crucible affliction of affliction. God is using those trials to uh, burn away our spiritual uh, uh, immaturity, to cause maturity within us, to cause endurance to well up within us. God is at work uh, causing us to depend more on Christ. All those things, that's what he's up to. But then our three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil, are pointing us and pulling us in the other direction. And so <clears throat> when we think about that, that's really important because knowing who God is and what he's up to in the midst of our trial, what he is and isn't responsible for, is really important. And so when we get to verse 14 here, and this is what we want to spend the bulk of our time on, when he says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire, then desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. And so what, what he's saying there is, listen, in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this crucible of affliction, you will be tempted. It's not God, but it's going to happen. And those words that are used there, <coughs> lured and enticed, are actually fishing and hunting terms. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a word picture that means to draw the fish out from their hiding place and to catch them. Or the language of baiting a trap 
uh, so that a hunter can catch, catch its prey. And so when he says by our own desire, what he's referring to there is our own human lusts and desires that come from the flesh. And a lot of times um, we can actually think about this the wrong way. I think we think about this strictly in terms maybe of addiction, that it, it has to be pornography or it has to be um, gambling or illicit drugs or something, that those are the things that are really going to trip us up. And while those things certainly can, that's not what most of us traffic in and struggle with. It's more of a <coughs> good desire that becomes an oversized desire, and then it becomes a problem. And the examples here are plenteous. It's food. we got to have food. Food is good. Uh, even in my case, if I can only eat four things, which still remains true, and of course I'm not bitter about that, uh, it, if you want food too much, well, then you become gluttonous and sinful. Or <coughs> money. got to have money. got to be responsible. got to be a good steward. Uh, but if you become a thief to get it, well, that's a problem. Uh, even sometimes with family, it, it is good to get married. It is good to have children. But if that becomes the sole pursuit in your life and you're willing to you know, do whatever it takes to get these things and uh, it sin in the process, well, again, a good desire becomes an over-desire, and that's a bad thing. And so we got to be careful <coughs> to understand a little bit about how this works. And, and I want to drill down in a couple of different ways here. Uh, one kind of sub-point to understand this is we are tempted by things that are attractive to us. And here's what I mean by that. There are certain categories of temptation that all men struggle with, uh, certain categories of temptation that all women struggle with. And then let's say all Americans kind of struggle with this or all Africans or Singaporeans or whatever. Certain geographic areas where things are more in your face and you kind of struggle with it more. But beyond that, there are things that are very specific to us. And there's a lot of things that go into that. Genetics, uh, your experiences, maybe things that happened to you that weren't your fault uh, along the way. Uh, particular proclivities that we just might have as a part of our fallen, fallen sin nature, whatever. And knowing what those are it is of paramount importance. Because if we're going to be lured and tempted by our own desire, think about that kind of as the flesh element, what is Satan going to do? He might be evil, but he is not stupid. And he is going to exploit, he's going to attack, he's going to come at those particular chinks in our armor, and he's going to do everything that he can to do the opposite of what God's up to. If God wants to make us like Jesus, Satan wants to pull us away from Jesus. If God wants to make us effective in advancing the kingdom, Satan wants to do everything he can to tempt us, to destroy ourselves, because that's what he does. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and distract us from kingdom living. So he's going to work in concert with our flesh to exploit those weaknesses. And so that's why James <coughs> is saying what he says here, uh, particularly within this context of trial, to help us understand how we might be particularly and specifically lured and enticed. So let's hit the pause button here and let me ask you a question. Do you know what those particular areas of weakness are for you? I'm not talking about your spouse, I'm not talking about your roommate, I'm talking about for you. 
those areas where you are, it just seems like you struggle, where you're more prone to fall down. And knowing those things is really important in understanding how the enemy is going to work against you and ultimately how we need to set ourselves up for success and not failure in those particular areas. Okay, now we'll come back to that in a minute when we make some more application. But it's really important to have those things in our mind at this point because look at the next thing he says. He says, then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So next piece of truth here, sin has a sequence. Sin has a sequence. Let's use his language first, and then I'll give you another image as well. <coughs> it's, a, it's a conception metaphor that uh, I'll say it jokingly, and then I'll say it seriously, that, that there's little demon babies. And the way that, that it starts is, you know, these... Uh, mommy and daddy are out there living life, and the next thing you know, oh, we'll get together, and now the, the demon baby has been conceived, and, and now when demon baby grows up, he kills everybody. So this is like Damien from the Omen back in the 90s, except this is your life, and we don't want that, okay? You don't have to pray uh, or be a rocket scientist to realize you don't want to be in on what James is talking about here. But that's the way it works for all of us. Because again, what does Satan do? He comes to steal and to kill and destroy. And what does sin do? It wants to reach its ultimate conclusion, which is the destruction of your life and ultimately the destruction of your soul. I mean, this is how it works. And so <laughs> let's understand it here again. So how does this break down in light of what he just said? We're lured by our own desires, those things that tempt us. Then we sin, and ultimately that sin wants to lead us to death. I heard this quote growing up that I thought was Quite helpful. I don't know who said it, but it has stuck with me all these years. Sin will, keep, will take you too far, keep you too long, and cost you too much. Sin will take you too far, keep you too long, and cost you too much. Man, I just think there's so much truth in that. And you think about how the enemy works against us, that's exactly how it works. And again, it's not the, the uh, you know, the guy from the movies with the, the red skin and forked tongue and a pitchfork and pointy ears. I mean, the only person who's going to follow that guy is, you know, pretty high anyway to start with. So we're not going to follow that person, but we are going to follow somebody that comes along and really tries to say, hey, I know you want this, but, but how about this? Are you willing to do this to get it? Or I know this doesn't seem like a big deal. I mean, you're working really hard in these areas over here. Why don't you just kind of sand off the edges over here. Or I know, you know, morality is important, but, you know, it, it is what it is, and, and, and you know, and, and that's the way it works. But it follows that progression. And so what we need to do, <coughs> by God's grace and with the Spirit's help, is we need to learn to disrupt this sequence of sin. Okay? We need to learn to disrupt the sequence of sin. And so I want to give kind of three categories of application. And the reason I, we actually wanted to hit this passage again is because there, there's way, within that section of text, there's, we could probably preach 10 sermons out of this section. Uh, there, there's just so much here that we really need to mine that it warranted multiple sermons to, to tease it out. And so let me give you these categories, and then we're going to get real, possibly uncomfortably practical 
because I think the Lord wants to help us with this. First one, this is a softball. We need to get to know God. Get to know God. And I mean this in two different ways. Number one, <coughs> we need to become Christians if we're not. And here at this church, we don't make any assumptions. Uh, what it means to become a Christian is this, that there has been a time in our life where we have recognized that we cannot save ourselves, that only Jesus can save us, and that we have to admit that we're sinners, believe in what Jesus has done for us, and then transfer the leadership of our life over to him. That's how we get to know God. And particularly in our concept, uh, context in the South, and I run into this all the time, there's a ton of confusion about that. Uh, actually, uh, I won't tell you the specifics of it, but I was aware of a, a group of people that are part of our church uh, this week, had a speaker come in and, and speak to a group that they were a part of, and the person got up and said a lot of helpful things, and then kind of on the home stretch of the talk said, the way to heaven is serving other people. And even then, the benefit of the doubt, you're like, well, serving other people is important, but that's not the way to heaven. Because there are plenty of unbelievers that are out there serving that are not on the way to heaven, they're on the way to hell. Because going to heaven, getting to know God, is ultimately about dealing with the sin within us. And we can't do that. We're powerless to do that. But the power of God does exactly that. And so when we come to the place where we own that we're sinners, we can't do anything about it, only Jesus can help us, and we put our faith and trust in him, and that great exchange takes place, now we're on the path to heaven and serving people. But you got to put the cart behind the horse, not in front of the horse. And so even in our Bible Belt context, there's a lot of confusion about how that happens. So very simply, let me ask you like this. Has that great exchange taken place in your life? If you come to the point where you trusted in Christ alone for salvation, and he has made you new from inside out. If you haven't, friend, let today be the day of salvation. You can be saved today. And when the rest of us take communion, you hold off and let's see you meet Jesus. That's the number one way that we get to know God. Now, once that great exchange has taken place, what does it look like to get to know God? And here I would like to talk about things like the spiritual disciplines. And these are the things that they're, they're so apparent to us that we often do not deploy them for our benefit. The things like praying and reading your Bible, and not just at a surface level, but really studying the Bible. Because our relationship with God is not simply an information transaction. We're not simply downloading stories from the Old Testament and helpful tidbits to the New Testament to go make a difference in the world. We want to get to know the God of the Bible. This is a relationship with him. And the more we can lean into that relational aspect of it, the more we are going to gravitate toward him and away from sin. And here's how this works. If I am walking in a vibrant relationship with God, where he isn't just the creator of the universe, but he is also my friend and my helper and my father, then when I am lured by my own desires, I'm going to be more quick to say, man, I don't want to do that. I don't want to disobey God. I don't want to uh, 
hurt my father. I don't want to jack up my relationship with him. I want to be close to him. I don't want anything that's going to hinder my fellowship. So I'm going to say no to that because I'm saying yes to this. You see how that works? That getting to know God in a functional and practical and intimate way fuels our pursuit of holiness and it makes sin less attractive. There's a great quote by, let's see who it is, Thomas Chalmers, a Puritan guy. And he said this, the only way to break the hold of a beautiful object on the soul is to show it an object even more beautiful. So whatever that thing or things are that are sinfully tempting and attractive to you, the best way to diminish their attractiveness in your eyes is to focus on the person and work of Christ. Because the more you get to know God, the less you will get to know sin. The more hateful and unattractive it will become to you. Now, are you still going to fumble it? Absolutely. Are you going to fail today? Probably. But it also will shorten the distance of your time on the spiritual mat, so to speak, and then running back to your corner for your cut man to help you. This is a boxing analogy here, by the way. I hope people are following me. Because you're going to be drawn into that relationship, not just with information, but with the person. Because God will be real to you and close to you. And as he becomes more attractive to you, sin will become less attractive to you. So part of the reason that we pray is because we need that connection. We need that fellowship. You're not just talking to the sky. You're certainly not just talking to yourself. You are talking to your God, your Savior, your friend, your helper in your time of trouble and need. And when you study the scriptures, again, you're not just studying some kind of book of wisdom or fables to help you make a bigger impact at work. You are studying the the living and active word of God That will help you at work, and it'll help you at home, and it'll help you anywhere in between. But it's out of this context of this relationship. So my encouragement in this, in talking all this about getting to know God, my assumption is every one of us in this room, we we all struggle in this area. There's nobody sitting in here that can get up and be like the perfect example. We're all imperfect examples. So we can just... Dismiss the shame and the guilt that goes with it, and we can get very practical and say, okay, based on where I'm at right now, what's the next right step that I can take to get to know God more effectively and intimately? And for some of us, it's to become more regular in our Bible reading. For others of us, it is to face the hard reality of, hey, the reason I don't really read the Bible is because I really don't know how. That's true for so many Christians. But, but don't languish in that. Say, I'm around a church that seems to understand how to read the Bible. I bet some of these people would help me out. Man, there are so many people that will come alongside you and not judge you and help you wherever you're at. Again, we make no assumptions in this church. And as you get to know God more, you will get to know sin less. Now, 
Second category, get to know yourself. Now, we touched on this before. I want to say a couple other things about it. Uh, but I want to say it within the context of C.S. Lewis and his consummate help to us. Quote from him, he said this, The true Christian's nostril is to be continually attentive to his own inner cesspool. Isn't that both a horrible and beautiful image? Uh, but man, so true. And think about how much that helps us. It keeps us humble because if you know what your failures are, you can't look down your nose at other people if your nose is turned to your own inner cesspool. Your own stink is going to keep you humble. And it's also going to drive you to Jesus. But to get a little more practical here, thinking through what tempts you specifically, I would take that even another level and say, why is that the case? Now, again, we don't, we don't have time to get into all like family history and that kind of stuff, but I'm talking about just the spiritual pathology of this because most sins, there's both an outward and an inward component. I've used this image with you before. It's like an iceberg, and whatever's happening on the surface, whether it's overspending or drinking too much or eating too much or whatever, that's the sin on the surface. But, but why do we feel like we need to do that? Let me give you just a couple of examples. We'll say the overspending issue. Part of the reason why we overspend is because we attach some kind of false identity to what we think that stuff is going to do for us. That we have to have that kind of car with that kind of decal because that means we are this kind of professional. Or we have to have this kind of clothes because if I don't have them, well, people are going to think that um, whatever. You see that? There's sin on the outside, potentially, and then internal struggle within. Or let's say another one. Uh, let's pick the drinking too much or even uh, uh, escapism. Part of the reason why people do that is because they don't want to or can't deal with the problems in front of them or the things that have happened in their past, kind of the trauma that they've endured. So the drunkenness on the outside is not really the issue. It's the stuff on the inside that needs care and healing and addressing in some way. Or let's just do one more. Uh, the, the thing with food. And, and there's all kinds of problems here. People will starve themselves, so you can have a problem on that side. Or eat too much, you can have a problem on that side. But again, that's the tip of the iceberg. What's really going on? Why do we feel the need to do this in the first place? And so my encouragement to you would be, if those are your issues, I gave you a little help. If not, uh, get some time and really try to figure out why do I do what I do? Why do I keep seeming to fail or keep seem to fail in these areas? And as you do that, part of what's going to flow from that is uh, the spirit of what Paul talks about in Romans 13, 14, when he says to make no provision for the flesh. And what you're going to begin to see is, okay, wait a minute. So not only there's this iceberg thing going on, but this tends to happen in particular situations and possibly when I'm with particular people. I remember this one guy, <laughs> I was talking to him at one point. He was like, man, I don't ever drink too much on my own, but when I'm with these guys... I always end up getting drunk or arrested. And it was like, well, what do you think that maybe we should do about this situation? Well, maybe I don't need to hang out with those guys. That's right. 
And so the thing there is, is we all have that kind of stuff. There are blind spots that we have, and they're blind spots for a reason. We don't see them. But then in situations like this, when the Lord pops something up in a sermon or a conversation, we begin to go, wait a minute. That's why this keeps happening. I am making provision for the flesh. I'm putting myself in a situation where I can fumble the football, and boy, my ratio is about 85%. And so part of the strategy there is to say, I need to avoid these situations as best I can, and when I can't, I need to prepare for them. Now, the final thing I want to say on this So get to know God, get to know yourself. This is kind of the third category that will help us here is you need to get to know your team. And what I mean by that is our struggle against sin is a group project. It is not simply an independent study. It is a group project, not simply an independent study. You have your own struggle when you're by yourself. We all do. But God has given you other strugglers to come alongside to help you and to encourage you. And one of the things that we are really about in this church is that we, we're in this together. And we, we don't judge each other. There, every single one of us in here, struggle might look a little different, but everybody's carrying a burden of some kind. And so we need each other to, just what Hebrews says, <coughs> spur one another on. Uh, toward love and good deeds all the more as we see the day approaching. And part of why we gather on Sunday, part of why we gather in community groups, (coughs) part of why we gather in these other environments is because we want to walk together. And what did we learn uh, back in Proverbs 13, 20? We talked about this (coughs) first message in the series. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. And so one of the things that we want to do coming out of this series is we want to see the, these relationships, whatever capacity they're in, kind of take the next step, the next level of uh, appropriate confession to one another. And James is even going to talk about that. In 5.16, he says, Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is, has great power as it is working. So we want to be there for each other, encouraging each other, holding each other uh, appropriately gospel accountable, but being each other's biggest cheerleaders as we seek to avoid the, the pitfall that James is talking about here in this passage. So I know I speak for all the elders in this. Uh, we're your biggest cheerleaders. We want to help you if we can encourage you in any way Uh, If we can counsel you in any way, the door is always open. Shoot any of us a text. We'll help however we can. And if we can't, we'll find you somebody who does. And also take full advantage of your community group leaders and your Thrive group, group leaders. Everybody here is here to help you in your struggle against sin. And one of the ways they're going to help you, this is where the passage kind of wraps up here, is reminding you of where the passage actually started. And that is to continually draw you back to the character of God. Not this phony view of God that's out there that James's folks were influenced by, but the true character of God. Look at this. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth 
that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. And so what he is exhorting them toward is not this God that's, you know, playing carrot and stick and trying to get him to sin. That's not the God of the Bible, but the true God who gives generously and every good and perfect gift comes down from him. And when he talks about here, the father of lights, there's no variation of change. He's talking about uh, something in the constellations here, it seems, seems, and that God is not going to shift and change like the moon and all this. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we think about all the good gifts that God has given us, they are further reinforcements that if he can do all that, if he can give us a home and a family and a job to provide for that family, if he can care for us and keep our bodies going throughout the day, then certainly he is going to help us in times of temptation. Certainly he is going to help us in times of trial. And then when you really boil it down and you think about the most perfect and the greatest gift that he ever gave, friends, we think about Jesus. And part of what good friends are going to do and what good preaching is going to do and what a good church is going to do is it's going to point us back to Christ again and again and again. And it doesn't matter what the problem is, Jesus somehow is going to be the answer. Because even though I've tried to be intensely practical today, what you need more than practical steps is you need Jesus. And when you don't remember the steps and you fail and you fall down, you know what you need? You need Jesus. And when you find yourself in that situation the next time, and let's say you do remember this, and you're like, wait a minute, something's going on here. I don't want to go down that path. You know who's going to help you have the strength to not go down that path? It's Jesus. So even this passage that warns us of the danger of temptation leads us to the greatness and the glory of Jesus. But guess, guess what? When he was tempted, what happened? He used the word of God time after time after time, saying, it is written, it is written, it is written, and he never failed. And because he never failed, he can help us when we fail. And that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us this morning and this week to give life to our mortal bodies. And that same spirit that empowers us is going to bring us back to Jesus every time. So here's how I want to end this message. I want to take just a minute and marvel at the greatness of Jesus. And I want to make a little space for us to pray and think about these areas where we need Jesus the most and ask for his help. So let's get still, let's bow our heads, and let's do that together. Lord, we are so thankful for the victory of Jesus over all of our sins. And Lord, we are so thankful for the help of Jesus in the midst of our remaining sins. And Lord, we pray for the power and the presence of Jesus right now and in the days to come to help us in our struggle. Lord, that you might call your word to bear when we are tempted this week. 
and that we might call on others to help us. Hopefully on the front end to say, hey, I'm struggling here, can you help me? But even on the back end of things, if, if we fall and we need to confess our sins to someone so that we might be healed, Lord, that we would have strength and courage to do both. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have week after week to come together and to sit under your word that you would make us more like you. Thank you in advance for what you're going to do in response. And we pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.